0: All right, it's the third Sunday, which means we don't have Kids Connect, which means we have Kids Sermon today. And so, for all of you kids that are here today, where are all the kids at? Can you guys all raise your hands so I can figure out where you are? Got some over here, some over here. All right, great. So, some over there. Um, Last week, when you guys weren't here, you guys were in the other room, we talked about how the church is a family. And today... We're talking about how uh, it's the responsibility of everybody in the church to do the work of the church. And the work of the church is called ministry. And why it kind of seems obvious to us when we say it that simply that all of us would do that work, uh, most of the time in the church that hasn't been the case. And so the way I want to explain this to you is by asking you about your family right at your house. So for all you kids, who does the work at your house? And I realize this is a dangerous question. Everybody except for the baby. What about you, Drew? Everybody. Yeah. Except for the little baby. What about you guys? I mean, your parents do all the work. So you guys don't have to pick up your toys? And you guys? Awesome. And Elliot. So, great. Everyone does the work. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right? Sometimes in the home, you know, like I'll freely admit, my wife probably does more work in the home than I do uh, because she works harder and I'm lazy. Uh, and I don't pick up as many toys as our little girls do uh, because they pick up most of their toys because we force them to at gunpoint. Not really. We actually don't do that. That's right. One day we'll have a kid's sermon on sarcasm. And so, yeah, that's, that's it. I mean, it's, it's when we think about it that way, right, our family at our house, everyone does the work in the home. And since the church is a family, it makes sense here that we would all do the work together, right? It's not just one person's responsibility to do the work of ministry. And so we all do it together. So there you go. Short, simple, uh, and obvious. Uh, But as we work through the text today, we're going to kind of recognize that even though we know that in our heads, even though we understand that, that's not the way the church works most of the time, and so we want to be a church that corrects that and that fixes that, uh, at least here. So before we read our first passage today, I want to explain where we're going the next two weeks, right? We set out on this four-week course where we were working through this kind of understanding that we have of what the church is, and that's that we are, as a church, a family of saints who are ministers And messengers. And so two weeks ago, Daniel uh, came up here and he talked about what it means that we are saints. Last week, we talked about what it means that we are family, both what it means and kind of how to do or, or fulfill that role that we have as. Uh, people who have been called by God and gathered into His body, which is the church. And so then, for the next two weeks, starting today, we're going to talk about the fact that we are ministers and messengers. And I want to explain where these words come from and kind of what the difference is between them. And so, last week, I told you all that when we kind of came up with this definition, the way we did it is we went through the New Testament and looked at like every word that the New Testament authors call us as a church and then kind of group those under these kind of four main terms, which would be our family, saints, ministers, and messengers. And for ministers and messengers, there was kind of this group of terms. Disciples, servants, Christians, ambassadors, ministers, witnesses, messengers, and royal priesthood. And it was really hard to figure out which one of those words go into which category. Like, for example, we're all called to be servants. So does that mean that I, as a Christian, and called to serve you guys, fellow Christians, fellow family members in the body of Christ, or uh, my neighbors, who may or may not be believers? Yes. Or we're called to uh, bear witness to the truth of the gospel. Do I do that uh, to you know, my, my Christian dad or my non-Christian aunt? Yes. Yes. Right, we do uh, both of those things, and so these two terms, ministers and messengers, they 're not really distinct; they're kind of two different ways of looking at the same thing. They talk about the reality that we are called to do all of these things both inside the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ, and that we do each of those things in different ways, right in uh, ephesians, sorry, not ephesians, in Romans fifteen eighteen, I think we have this verse. Paul says this, he says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So Paul's going to go out and he's going to bear witness to what God has done through him. And he's going to use words, speaking, and deeds, actions, to show that that has happened. And so this week we're talking about kind of the, the deed part of being ministers and messengers. And next week, we're going to talk about the word part of it. We're going to talk about how we share the gospel and speak the truth of who God is and what He's done. But, at the very beginning, I want to make it clear what I'm not saying today. Right, Next week, we're going to focus on sharing the gospel verbally. But if you just come today and don't come back next week, I want you to know that this is not me saying share the gospel and if necessary, use words. That's not what I mean. Uh, Jerry Howard, when he spoke here, he used an illustration to show how uh, idiotic that kind of an understanding of preaching the gospel is. He said, that's like telling someone, give me your phone number, and if necessary, use numbers. And this week, I sent him a text in the middle of the night his time, to ask him, hey, what was that illustration you used for that again? I can't remember. And so I woke up the next morning to a message on my phone that said, send me your number and don't use any numbers. And I was just like, I I, I can't do that. That's impossible. Why are you asking? And then I realized, after I'd woken up a little bit, that he was telling me what the illustration was, which shows it's impossible. Right? We cannot share the gospel without words, and deeds. Um, But, if we have to pick one or the other, use words. Right? If you do not share the Gospel with your non-Christian neighbors, they will die and go to hell. And so do it. Share the Gospel. Because we're commanded to in God's Word. And so while we're not focusing specifically on the Word part this week, know that it's something that we need to do. (laughs) Uh, and something we should do. And if it's something that we don't do, it, we're it being disobedient to what he's called us to do. So, our main point today is that we are all ministers, all of us, ministers commanded to do ministry like Jesus did, so that his church grows holistically in maturity. And we're going to walk to a few passages where we see this fleshed out. But we're all ministers, every single one of us. We're commanded to do ministry like Jesus did, and we're commanded to do it so that his church grows holistically in maturity. So our first passage this morning is Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. So uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians 4. If you don't have one, there's some under the chairs. And in today's, or this passage is on page 977. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. We're going to focus mainly on verses 11 and 12, but I want you to get the context of what's going on here too. So verse 11. And He, this is God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or pastors, and teachers... from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In this passage, we get kind of the beginning and the end of our main point. We see here that ministry is something that we're all called to do, and we also see here what the purpose of that ministry is that we have with one another. And so first... Uh, Let's look at who it is that's responsible to do ministry. In verses 11 and 12, he says that uh, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Shepherds is just another word for pastors. God gave these people in these positions to the church. And he gave them for a very specific reason. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So what do the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers do? What do they do? What's their job? To equip the saints for ministry. So they're the ones that do the ministry, right? Who does the ministry? Those they equip. The saints. I know Daniel preached two weeks ago, but who are the saints? We are. So who does the work of ministry? Everyone. That's so obvious, right? If we just read this passage, ask a couple questions, it's Perfectly clear, everyone does ministry. So, who is a minister? Just the people that wear the funny robes, have the funny collars, have the titles, can park in the clergy parking spots at hospitals? No, we can all do that. (laughs) The only difference we see here is that some people are equippers or trainers. And everyone does the ministry. So we know right off the bat that we are all commanded in Scripture to do ministry. We're also going to see this again in the next passage. But why? Why do we all do the ministry? This comes up in this passage too. Uh, right at the end of verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for, this is the purpose, this is the reason for this ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. The church, all of us, do the work of ministry so that all of us grow in maturity. What does maturity look like? He tells us, in this passage, or, or maybe more accurately, who does maturity look like? Christ, right? This is a place where the Sunday school answer is the right answer. Jesus is what maturity looks like. And honestly, that to me is incredibly uh, daunting. Like it's a task that, as soon as I start to think about it, I know like that's impossible. And so my brain immediately starts giving reason after reason after reason after reason why that will never happen. And I shouldn't even bother starting down that path because I won't get there. And that's because I think when we think about growing in our faith and growing in discipleship and growing in Christ's likeness, we think as if we're all supposed to conform into this one image, which is what the Bible says, but we think like one personality. Right how can I be like Jesus? Jesus probably wasn't as sarcastic as I am, and I need to be sarcastic less often, but I also need to learn how to use my god given hilarity <laughs> for his glory. like that's who he's made me like and he's made you someone different, and so to think that like we're all supposed to be the same person just sounds really backward from what we know about the fact that he's created us in his image and he's created us unique. And so there's a guy named Mike Green and another one named Dallas Willard, who both wrote books on discipleship and use very similar language where they talk about the fact that discipleship is becoming who Jesus would be if he was you. Right? So it's not about becoming someone else, it's about Thinking about your life, your personality, who God has made you, and then imagining what perfect obedience in that would look like. So it's what I just did. I recognized, hey, like I'm sarcastic. I need to be less sarcastic. But it's still okay to make jokes. It's still okay to have a sense of humor. I just need to figure out how to do that in a way that's obedient to God and glorifying to Him. And you figure out a way to do that like Jesus would if He was me. That's what maturity looks like. And I said in that main point that we want to grow holistically in maturity. Here, I obviously mean that we need to start wearing clothing made of hemp and eat bran muffins and you know grains that no one can pronounce properly so that we can be these holistic Christians. Do Tai Chi in the mornings in our backyards. right? That's not holistic. Holistic means all of us, our entire person, our whole person. That's what Paul means when he says grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. All of us needs to be matured our entire life. And this is really, really, really important because we don't think this way. We think my spiritual life needs to grow in Christ. Right? When, I, when I do spiritual things, I need to mature in that, but the rest of my life it's, I mean it just kind of stays the same. Or maybe you think like that you know sin and disobedience to God is just something that's kind of over there in the corner. And as long as you don't engage in it, it doesn't engage in you. Like it, it just can kind of stay there in your life, like that you know toolbox down in your basement. And as long as you don't go out downstairs and open up the toolbox and start using them. They don't have any effect on you. But sin isn't like that. Sin is something that's not over there. Sin is something that's in us. And the Bible says that it wages war against us. Against the spirit that's trying to make us more mature in every way in Christ. So Paul tells us that we need to be killing sin so that it's not killing us. So we need to recognize that we need to grow in maturity in every way. We need to grow holistically in every part, every nook and cranny of our life. It needs to be brought into submission to who God is and what He's done for us. That's what maturity looks like. It looks like a pervasive uh, Christ-likeness that's being cultivated in us. And this is another reason why all of us need to do the ministry. Because there are things that me... And the other elders can't teach you about. Because we haven't struggled with that thing or this thing. We haven't walked through that tragedy. But by all of us working together to grow all of us up in maturity, we bring different gifts, different experiences, different uh, understandings of God's word and applications of it into our lives in in a way that causes us to be who God has called us to be, this and of multifaceted, glorious church that He's made. And if any of us stop doing our part, everyone else suffers. We're all commanded to do ministry. We do this so that the church grows holistically in maturity. But what does the work of ministry look like? How do we, how do, we do it to one another, for one another? Wouldn't it be great... If in Scripture we had a, a pattern or a model for ministry that we could follow, someone who shows us what ministry looks like, obviously we do. Turn to Matthew 28, 18-20. It's on page 835 if you're using one of the uh, chair Bibles. This passage and the next one are where we're going to get that kind of middle part of that main point. We all do ministry. We do it so that we all grow in maturity. And we do it like Jesus did. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Most of you will recognize that this is the Great Commission. So we're actually going to start in verse 16 here. several things here. We're not going to walk through the passage completely because we don't have the time for that. We're going to see a few things and then move on to another passage which is very closely related to this one. The first thing we need to see here is that Jesus, as he says, has all authority. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. It's been given to him. That gives him the authority to make this command. And so the reason why we Keep this command. The reason why we go and make disciples, the reason why we do what Jesus says is because He has all authority. He has the right to tell us to do this. So we should. He has all authority. The second thing we need to see is that the command here is to make disciples. A lot of times when people talk about this passage, they make a a big push about the go. Like we need to go somewhere so that we can make disciples. The problem with that is, where are these guys at? They're on a mountain. Who's with them? Jesus, the other disciples. So who are they going to make disciples of up there? No one. They're all already disciples. So they go down the mountain to where people are that need to be made disciples so they can make disciples. Like, that's all we need to know about the going. Should we go overseas to make disciples? Absolutely. But we can go to Walmart to make disciples. We can go to our house to make disciples. We can go to a school to make disciples. The only thing, the only place we need to go in order to make disciples is a place where disciples aren't. We can go to church to make disciples. And it's not just to grow Disciples. Right? Discipleship is a great thing. We should be pouring into one another, growing each other in Christ. That's the work of ministry. But that's not making disciples because all of those people already are disciples. Making disciples is taking someone who is not a follower of Christ and speaking the truth of the gospel to them, ministering to them indeed, so that they believe the gospel and become a disciple. That's what it means to make a disciple. And so if we're not doing that, that's not happening. If we're not seeing that happen in our church, then we are not a church that's making disciples. And that's not something I want to acknowledge. Because I think we're a church that does discipleship very, very well. But we're not a church that makes disciples well. I don't think that that should you know cause just this guilt and shame to fall on us so that we just you know wallow in our lack of disciple making because on the one hand right god causes people to believe the gospel not us but i do think it should cause us to question whether we are being faithful to do what he's called us to do whether we're being faithful to walk into his commands of making disciples and sharing the gospel command is to make disciples. The third thing we need to see here is that we make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. That's how we do it. So we make disciples. We go out, we dunk people, preferably willing people, and then we teach them All that Jesus commanded. And I think that here's another place where there's just kind of a disconnect for us. Because we think of teaching like this. Right? Let's round up a bunch of people, get them in a room, and start instructing them about all the commands that Jesus gave. But that's not what He did. That's not how He taught His disciples. Sure, there was preaching and teaching, but He also walked around with them for like three years showing them What to do, how to obey the commands, how to do ministry. Like, he was their example, their model. And so, when we think about teaching people to do all that Jesus commanded, we shouldn't think about teaching them to do, like, math or English. We should think about, like, teaching someone to, to roller skate. Right? This week, I went on a field trip, uh, with Dinah to this roller skating place, which was to Scotty's Fun Spot, which was lots of fun. And she had never roller skated at a roller rink before. She had kind of done the Barbie skating thing around the house with the wheels that lock in place, so it's not really skating. Um, and I, like, I played hockey growing up, and so like I, I can skate. And I was kind of surprised that muscle memory brings that stuff back without doing it for a really long time. And so like, I'm trying to show Dinah how to skate and not fall down and also tell her that if you fall down, it's not going to hurt that bad. Um, but that's not something that we did in a classroom. You know, I didn't give her a 30-minute lecture about how to roller skate. She wouldn't have listened. I tried to show her. tried to show her how to stand, how to put her feet, how to, you know, what to do when she falls down and was there to hold onto her arms so that she didn't fall down. Like that's what it looks like to teach someone to do what Jesus commanded them to do. It's more like that kind of teaching than it is like, you know, just giving them information transfer and hoping that they get it and understand it so that they can do it. And so when we think about going out to make disciples, going out to train people, to teach them to do all that Jesus commanded us to do, we need to give them that practical knowledge instead of just you know, trying to transfer information or tell them to read a book and do it with them. The fourth thing we need to see here is that just like Ephesians 4, this applies to all of us. Uh, There are people who will say, you know, like this command was given to the disciples, or this is a passage that describes what has happened and doesn't prescribe to us what to do. So, you know, we don't need to fulfill the Great Commission. It was just, just for the disciples. The problem with that is that this is a command. And so the disciples were told by Jesus, go out, make disciples, and tell them to do everything that I've told you to do. So what do they do when they get to the end? They say, go and make disciples. Jesus has all authority. Go out, baptize people, teach them to do everything that He's told you to do through Me. This is a command that they were commanded to command to others. And so we make disciples because... He told them to make disciples, and they went out and made disciples, and those people went out and made other disciples, and those people went out and made other disciples. And somewhere down the line, someone made us a disciple and told us, hey, you need to do the things that Jesus tells us to do in his word. And so we see in Matthew 28, hey, here's this command, go out and make disciples. This must be one of the things I'm supposed to do. And so we are called to make disciples. The last thing we need to see here is that it comes with a promise. At the very end, he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We're not making disciples of ourselves. We're making disciples of Christ, and we can do that because he promises to be with us along the road of disciple-making. Just like he was with them, he will be with us. It's like we often talk about discipleship as this life-on-life this life thing. It's a trendy way to talk about it because, you know, we, we do life together. And it's a helpful correction against what discipleship has been, but it's really it's life-on-life on, life on the life of Christ. Like, He is part of what we're doing as we meet with people. Like, He's promised to be with us. And so when we're with others, we should, I think remember and and remind them of this promise that Jesus is with us. This isn't something we're doing in isolation on our own. He's in us. He's with us. And He empowers us to do what He's called us to do. So, Jesus here in Matthew 28 tells us to go out and make disciples. He tells us to do it because He has the authority to do it. He tells us what to do when we go out and make disciples. And then He promises to be with us. And when we think about this passage, we often think about it uh, if it was given in like some sort of vacuum. Like This is the, the one command He gave the disciples. It's like, what do we do? Like, what do we do now? I know I need to go out and make disciples. I know that I need to teach them everything. I know I need to baptize them. I know that Jesus is with me. But like, how, how do I do it? Well, this isn't at the beginning of the Gospel. This is at the end of the Gospel. The reason why Jesus can say, go out and do... Uh, go out go and make disciples and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you is because He knows what He's commanded them to do. Because again, He spent three years with them. He taught. He preached. He ate with them. He slept with them. He, he healed them when they were sick. He you know, traveled from village to village to village to village. He spent time in a boat with them. Like These guys did life together with Jesus. And... This isn't the first time he sent them out to do ministry. Flip over to Matthew 10, to the, to the left. It's on page 814. Matthew 28, it isn't a new commission. It's an expansion of an earlier one that he already gave them in Matthew 10. Listen to what he says here. Verse 1, he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no towns of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So here we have Jesus calling his disciples to himself. He's there. The 12 are there because there's still 12 at this point because Judas hasn't betrayed him yet. He says, I've got authority. I'm giving it to you. Now go out and do these things. The only difference between here and the Great Commission is that Jesus restricts them geographically. He says, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Instead, stay in Israel. So the Great Commission is really him saying, hey, remember how I sent you out before? I'm sending you out again, only now go everywhere. Do what you did then, but do it all over the place. And so in Matthew 10, we get him instructing them kind of the first time as they go out. This is what you do. This is how you do it. So the first thing he says is what to... He tells them where not to go, where to go. And then he says... This is what you say. Verse 7. Proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They've heard this before. Where have they heard this? John the Baptist. is what his message was. And it's also what Jesus' message was. When he started preaching, this is what he said. So we're going to talk about this more next week, but here, just know, he's saying, go out and say what you've heard me saying. My message is is your message. Go preach it. And then He tells them what to do. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Where have they seen this before? Jesus. right? If you read Matthew 8 and 9, there's examples of Him doing these things. He's not saying, go out and do something entirely new. He's saying, go out and do the things that you've seen Me doing everywhere we've gone. So His message is their message and His ministry is their ministry. They're told to go do what they've seen Him doing. And they can do this because they haven't been learning in the classroom. They've been learning on the road with Him. He's been making them disciples. And they know how to do the ministry that He's called them to do because they've had Him as a model. For us we have to think about it a lot harder. Because we don't have Jesus to come alongside us and show us how to roller skate. But we do have his word. The guys that spent three years with him wrote down what he did. They wrote down what he said so that we could read it and learn from it. This isn't part of the sermon, but just a side note. We should always be reading the Gospels. I had a seminary professor tell me that a long time ago. And I immediately, when he said that, thought, we need to read the whole counsel of God, not just the Gospels. And then I started to do it. And then I stopped doing it, and I started to do it again, and then I stopped doing it. And it's much more helpful for me in my life to always be reading the Gospels. I'm not saying don't read the Old Testament. I'm not saying don't read the Psalms. I'm not saying don't read Paul's letters or, you know, the other letters, or even Revelation. Read those things too. But always be reading the Gospels because it's in the Gospels that we get the clearest picture of who Jesus is and what He's done. It's where we see Him as our model preaching His Gospel and doing His ministry that we're called to go out and do as well. So, read the Gospels because that's where we see Jesus and that's where we know what to do. Back on track. He says, Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. I don't think this is an exhaustive list. This isn't a checklist that we can go out and, you know, well, there's no, my neighbor doesn't have any demons, so he doesn't need that. He doesn't have leprosy, doesn't need that. You know, he just took some antibiotics, so he's not sick. So I guess I don't need to minister to him. This isn't an exhaustive list. This is examples of what Jesus has done, and so they would have received it, knowing that. There's other stuff we need to do. They've seen him do ministry. So I think that we should think about what, what else do we see in his patterns of ministry in the Gospels? As we read them, as we see who he is and what he's done, what else do we see? I think the first thing we should notice is about the list itself. This is groups, right? People with demons, people with leprosy, sick people. These are people that were outcasts in society. No one else spent time with them. Lefers were actually kicked out of the community and told to stay away. And so the very fact that Jesus had any interaction with them meant that he deliberately went out to where this guy was so that he could heal him. He ate with tax collectors. He ate with sinners. He spent time with women, which doesn't sound weird to us, but it was weird then. He ministered to the people that were on the margins of society. And that should be us. So if you don't have someone in your life that no one else wants to spend time with, find them and spend time with them. Like we're called to help those that no one else is helping. And that's hard. It's uncomfortable. But it's what we're supposed to do. It's how Jesus did ministry, it's his pattern. So practically, you know, what what does that look like? An easy thing to do is eat. We're all going to eat anyway. We talked about this last week. It's something we can do as family. It's also something we can do for ministry. We just serve people, spend time with them, listen to their needs. We're going to talk about service again in a minute, but for for here, just service is something that we do to meet a need in someone else. So practically, like in the home, like, if I do something for my wife that I really like to do, like I buy her a present, that's easy. Right? I can type in a credit card number all day long and say, here, you know, I just wanted to serve you in this way by giving you this thing that I did nothing to obtain other than pressing the enter key on Amazon. That's not service. But if instead I say, hey, here's this thing that I hate, And she really doesn't enjoy and say, I'm going to do this for her because I love her and I want to serve her. That's service. So when we think about serving people that are on the fringes of society, we need to be with them to know their needs so that we can meet those needs. Service isn't just doing some generic thing like painting the side of a building. It's finding a need and then meeting it practically. That's how we serve people. Another aspect of Jesus' ministry is is found in the purpose for these miraculous things that He did. Jesus didn't just cast out demons so that He could be popular. In Matthew 9, when He's accused of casting out demons uh, with the power of the devil, He responds to the Pharisees and He says, If it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's explaining to them there and he's explaining to us when we read it that his miraculous nature, cleansing lepers, healing the sick, casting out demons, he does those things. He raises the dead to give evidence to the fact that his message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is true. He's saying these things are happening because the reign of God has broken into this world and it is expanding. Like that's what we see happen when he casts out demons. He says, this is no longer the devil's territory. Now it's mine. That's what he does in us. And so we should do ministry like that. Ministry that looks out in our community and says, this is a place that is not in submission to God. This is not a place that's the way God has designed it to be. So what can I do through his power and with his Holy Spirit What can I do to make it the way it should be? Or to make it more like the way it should be? That's the kind of ministry we want to do. That's the kind of ministry we're called to do. And so practically, I don't know, envisioning or imagining maybe isn't practical. But think about an area of society you're involved in. Or, you know, something in your community that is broken. And begin to think and pray about what can you do? What does God want to do through you to fix that? It's one of the things our missional communities are trying to do. So maybe a place to start is to have that conversation with your missional community. What about this group that we're ministering to, or this organization that we're ministering to, is broken? And how would it not be broken if it was doing doing things the way that God called it to do? I think that sentence made sense i mean just a, a practical example of someone that i know that's doing this i talked to a guy last week who ran for alderman in his city and won so that he could be more involved in the community and actually begin to change things that needed to be changed and like that kind of sounds crazy like none of us could be on hannibal city council right why not Daniel Miller, City Council 2017, right here. (laughs) We already talked about service, but in the word minister in in the New Testament, it picks up this technical meaning, minister. But at its most basic level, the word means service. And a lot of the time, that's how it's translated. We think of ministry as some big, complicated, scary thing but it's, it's serving others. And Jesus Himself says that He came uh, not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Like if you think of anyone that should not have to serve, it's Him. Right? He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's way above a servant. And in that same passage, He encourages His followers to serve too to not be arrogant, to not be prideful, to not lord things over others like the Gentiles do, but instead to be humble, to be servants, just like he is. So when we think about ministry, we should look for opportunities to serve others, to hear their needs and to meet their needs. We could read the Gospels again and again and again and again and again and continually see new ways we can minister like Jesus did. But I want to give a pretty big qualification. Next week, we're going to talk about how we go out and we, we speak his message. This week, hopefully, we've talked about how we do his ministry. But we're not him. You know, John the Baptist said that he said, I'm, I'm not the Christ. And I know that that seems perfectly obvious. And none of us would ever say, I am the Christ. None of us would ever say, like, I, I'm Jesus. But as we get more and more involved in ministry, the temptation to try to be him grows and grows and grows. Because we want to be those that can fix everything. We want to be those that can, that can know everything so we can have the answer for people when we're talking to them. Like I would love right now to be able to say, hey, here's an incredibly practical way we can all do ministry better. But I don't have that answer. And we aren't going to have the answers we need when we're talking to broken people who are dealing with life in a broken world we can't know it all and we can't fix it for them and we can't be everywhere and do everything and that's the other temptation that we face in ministry is hearing like hey there's this great thing going on over there there's this great thing going on over there there's this need down here there's this need over here there's need everywhere but that's not on us that's a burden that he bears And he calls us to bear it in specific places. So share his message and and do his work, but don't try to be him because you will fail. And you'll fail the people you're ministering to because they will learn to follow and love and adore and worship you. We're all commanded to do ministry. We're commanded to do it like Jesus did. And again, that's not something that we can you know, specifically walk out and know ahead of time. We do that by reminding ourselves again and again and again and again of who He is in His Word, the kind of ministry He did in some big categories, and then we try to apply that in practical ways as we're doing ministry. And we do ministry so that all of us grow in every way to be more like Him. That's what we want to see happen. We want to see people that aren't currently here to grow towards maturity in Christ. Not just ourselves. We're not just for building up B.C., Or for building up the kingdom of God. And the way we do that is by being ministers and messengers. Both the deed part and the word part that we're going to talk about next week. Before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I did want to give, just like we did last week, right? We had a little Q&A. We talked about other ways we can be family, right? Because doing ministry like Jesus did is such a big, broad topic. Can't possibly cover everything. So, you guys got any things you've seen, uh, ideas, whatever, in your reading of Scripture and you think, you know, this is a way that Jesus did ministry that we could as well. That's a real question. Not over, over submitting and over ourselves. We need you all to talk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think that this kind of teaching is entirely useless. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's... Uh, yeah, what I should have said was it's not just like teaching math or science. And even like when we when we went roller skating the other day, like the dude from the roller rink at the very beginning was like, hey, if you're going to fall down, you know, this is how you fall down. Uh, he didn't actually fall down, which I was a little disappointed, but he showed them like how to, how to get down and do that. And then at multiple points during the day he stopped and said okay for those of you who are getting good at this thing now try this and so there was some like mass information transfer and also and even like when Daniel teaches math, I would assume that he probably with some kids that are struggling goes over and explains it in a more personal way maybe yes. Yeah. so yes that's a good question do you have something or are you just moving yeah sorry Scott Obviously, we need to be reading the Gospels more, so we've got more answers to this question. Yeah, I mean, I think that just reading through the Bible and seeing, hey, Jesus does ministry in this way. How can I do this? Right, he went out on the boat with his disciples who were fishermen. Go do something with someone that they're good at. You might learn something from them and get to eat fish. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he. I mean, he was yeah able to serve because he was there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I think some. I think some of that comes in next week. You know, like, I mean, because to me personally, you know, the the reason why I would have an issue with with that is because I I believe firmly that. The, the gospel is about us flourishing as human beings. You know, not, not having our best life now. That's not what I'm saying. But uh, by us growing in every way to mature manhood, to be, you know, who God has designed us to be. Uh, and that's those who work and keep his creation and, you know, cause it to flourish too. And so, like, I don't, I don't think we can do that without getting over that block So I think it's some communication about what God wants to do in us and that he can't do that if we don't get past that. Um, But then also giving relief where it's needed until people get there. With that, I would say that I think a lot of those systems exist because the church isn't doing its job. And because they won't exist in the new creation. Like that, yeah, that would be an example of where we look out and see, hey, this is broken. This is an area in which his kingdom can break in. I don't I don't know how we get it to do that. But City Council. Congress. But, I mean, seriously, like Tim Keller, when he talks about how we change, or how we how we minister in society, gives three categories. The first one is relief, which is like, you know, person's heater broke, they don't have the money, it's the winter. Like, we should just, if we can, pay for them to get their heat fixed, because it's cold. Uh, the second step is development, which is saying like, all right, what was it in your life that led to the circumstance that you couldn't pay to fix your own heater? How can we help you fix that? And then the third step is is reform, which is making like broad sweeping changes in society so that whatever caused them to get to that place where they couldn't pay for their heater is worked against. Like we want to be believers, individuals who do those kinds of things. Which is why Daniel Miller is running for city council. Or why someone should. Seriously. Okay. If there's, like if there's something else you think about this week, I mean, hey, feel free to post it in the BC Facebook group. Start a discussion. Call somebody, text them like, It's okay if you don't want to speak up in a large group like this, but don't keep it to yourself. And with that, the elders are also always open to questions, comments, feedback, ideas, criticism, whatever. All of our email addresses are on the bulletins. You can also send an email just to elders at bchannibal.com. And it goes to all of us at once, so you don't even have to type in multiple addresses. It's really easy to communicate with us, so there's no reason not to if you want to. Um, As we celebrate the Lord's Supper this week, um, I think this is a perfect example of kind of what ministry is at a really basic level. Paul says that whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we proclaim his death until he comes by eating we do something that bears witness to the truth of the Gospel. That's an example of what ministry is like. It's when we do things that bear witness to who He is and what He's done. So as we take the Lord's Supper today, I, mean, I would encourage you to spend some time in your seat uh, before you go to the table preparing your heart, thinking about the ways in which you've fallen short of the commands He gives us in His Word to be those who do ministry. All of us. We're those that should be making disciples. If we're not, if we're not actively doing things to make disciples, that's something that we need to repent of. And we should before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. At the same time, we should ask Him by His Spirit to show us how we can begin in our life to build the kind of relationships in which we can be those who are striving to make disciples. Then go through the line. We're going to circle up again this week. Um, and just have a couple people in your group pray for us as a church. That we would be a church that exemplifies these passages. That we would be a church that does do ministry, all of us, so that all of us grow to maturity. That should be our prayer for one another. that we would be a church that makes disciples. That God would be working in our community to cause people to be brought from death to life. That we would get to be those who are walking alongside them when it happens. So, prepare your heart. Take the Lord's Supper. You don't have to be a member of BC to do this. We do ask that you would be someone who is trusted in Christ for salvation because if you haven't done that, then this meal isn't for you. And, You know, we've been talking about the fact that we are ministers. The we for me in that statement is those who trusted in Christ. If you haven't trusted in Christ, the Bible does not say you're a minister. It doesn't say you're a saint. It doesn't say you're in a family. It says you're dead in your trespasses. So if that's you, if that's your identity today, know that by trusting in Christ, you can be brought from death to life. You can be adopted into a family. You can become a saint regardless of what you've done in your past. And you can be one of those who's called alongside of all of us to do the work of the ministry so that we all grow together in Christ. So When you go through the line, circle up, have a couple of people in your group pray for us, for our body, that we would do these things well. I'm going to pray and then take some time to prepare your hearts. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. That it tells us who Jesus is and what he's done. That he is the one you sent into this world to remake it and fix what's broken about it because of us and our sin. That he died to save us. and that his work on our behalf makes us who we are. That if we are in Christ, we are a family of saints who are ministers and messengers. I thank you that you don't just leave us with who we are, but you tell us what to do that you give us commands that are, are hard. But you also empower us by your Spirit to walk in them. So I pray today that you would help us, both as individuals and as a church, to be faithful to do what you called us to do. That we would be obedient. That we would know that our obedience is only a product of grace. Pray now that You would send Your Spirit to help us to prepare rightly to celebrate Your death on our behalf.